I want to open today's episode with a quote from the book Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. It kind of foreshadows what the episode will be about. And it goes, What is to be prized? An audience clapping? No. No more than the clacking of their tongues, which is all that public praise amounts to. The clacking of tongues. Welcome to Purple Elephant Radio where we discuss the mindsets, philosophies, and strategies needed to make art and tell stories that make a dent in this era of abundance. This is a show for the unbound creative, the undefinable artists, and the unidentified philosophers. I'm your host, Sean Green. I think today's episode is going to be one of the more useful episodes I've ever made. And I don't say that lightly. I think this episode is going to be extremely practical for dealing with envy, as well as extremely powerful and and is going to force you to reflect a little bit. Because right now, I mean, I assume if you clicked on this episode, you know the feeling envy, but maybe you haven't. Maybe you're just curious about it. And I would say, I guarantee you, whether or not you realize it, there is some place in your life, some person in your life, some thing in your life that you were envious of. And because of that, I really wanted to dig deep on this emotion, which for me has been crippling at times to creating stuff. And really quick before I give you the the seven different strategies or, or methods, which are a combination of thought experiments, things to remind yourself, and just changes in perspective. But before I get to those seven I want to talk a little bit about envy and why I think specifically for the person who considers themselves an artist, content creator, storyteller, why I think envy is a lot more likely to grip onto you and affect you versus the average Joe or Jane. Now, really quick, I want to make the distinction between envy and jealousy, which I think some people use interchangeably. But for the sake of this podcast, I want to clarify that Jealousy focuses on love. It usually involves a a love triangle, whereas envy is a little bit broader of a definition. You can be envious about someone's wealth, someone's fame, someone's habits, their physical features. Essentially, envy is wanting what someone else has in the simplest terms. Now, I think there are two forms of envy. The first is kind of the classic envy, where it involves someone we know usually in person, I guess at this point it could be online, but someone we know personally. And that envy comes up as just being a little bit jealous about their opportunities, about the successes they've had. And it usually involves someone who's at the same level as you. Let's say you're you're both in college, both in the same major, and one person gets a wonderful job and the other person got denied. The second form of envy, I think, is a little bit more broader based. It's not revolving around a specific person. And I think this second form of envy has arisen because of social media. And that envy I would describe as generalized envy, which usually involves having a curated Instagram account of all artists and not feeling like you can live up to the standard that they're setting. Or if you're a filmmaker, same thing goes there. You're seeing all these wonderful works of art from people who are roughly the same age as you. And it's not focused on a specific person, but rather a whole group of people, a whole curated assortment of talented people 
that you are envious of. And we're going to get into that second form a little bit more deep in, in one of the methods. But really quick, before I jump into the seven antidotes, I think this would be very useful if you think of someone you're envious of. Just keep that person in your mind this this whole rest of the episode. And as I'm explaining these different thought experiments, use them. Use them in real time while you're listening to this episode. I think that will make it much more useful. And so let's get into the seven. The first antidote, which I'm calling the all or nothing method, and I did not come up with this. I, I got it from a book. I can't remember where, but all it requires you to do is ask a simple question. So have this person in your mind that you're envious of and ask yourself, would you accept everything about this person's life to have the one aspect you're envious of? And keep in mind, some of this you may not even know. But would you be able to take on the mental state of a person in order to have their physical body if they're very disciplined? Would you be willing to wake up at 6 a.m. every day and run for an hour, stay up late and work for three more hours after your normal shift ends? Are you willing to take on the pain and struggle in order to have what that person has? If we want to have a certain person's trait, we have to understand that the only reason they have that trait is because of everything else in their life. You either take all or nothing about the person you're envious of. Also included in the all or nothing method, and this applies specifically to content creators, is asking yourself, would I be willing to make the content that other person is making that made them successful? You know, I think a lot of the the quick success stories we see, it, it, from my point of view, sometimes feel a little bit cheesy, feel like they're just milking a trend, milking a wave and quote unquote selling out. And of course, I'm sure this is biting me in the butt for not doing this, but TikTok, I'm not on TikTok. I don't really want to be. I don't see myself going on TikTok anytime soon. And of course I'm missing out on some stuff, but that is just a type of content I would not make. And so someone who has found massive success through TikTok using the all or nothing method, no, I would not want to trade places with that person. So simple question, you can go a lot of different ways with that. And of course, there are gonna be aspects about that person you have in your head that you can't know. And maybe if you're trying to use this strategy to intentionally feel less envious, maybe make up some stuff about this person. I know it sounds bad to say it like that, but what if there was a person who on the outside you were very envious of? They seemed very disciplined. They were very successful, very wealthy. And theoretically, you'd be willing to take on all of that. Maybe what you don't see is the constant stress, the inner turmoil going on in their head. I'm not saying go spread a rumor like that, but I'm saying if you can't see any downside, any difficult struggling aspect about a person you're envious of, I would say you're not looking hard enough or you're missing something or something's being hidden. So that's the all or nothing method. That is antidote number one. Antidote number two, I call the mirror method. And this probably self-explanatory, but it, all it says is use a mirror to see why you are envious of that specific trait of a person. And notice how I'm making the distinction between being envious about a person and being envious about an aspect of that person. Now, if you want another way to think about the mirror method, it kind of goes something like the thought process behind dreams where, and I think I got this from Carl Jung, but 
The idea behind dreams is that if you have a bad dream, if you have a nightmare, or if there is a specific person in your dream, usually it's something interpretable about a certain aspect of your psychology. That's for dreams. The mirror method brings this into the waking world and says, this envy that I'm feeling, this envy that I'm experiencing, why am I experiencing it? And not pointing the finger at the person you're envious of, but rather looking at what are you lacking that would spark this feeling of envy inside yourself. I've already kind of laid out the, the major things that you might feel envious of, those being wealth, fame, specifically internet fame, followers, just having an audience, being envious of someone's certain disciplines that you feel like you can't do yourself, someone having physical features that you can't have or don't have at this moment. Using the mirror method allows you to see that the reason you're feeling envy at all is not because of a, another person, something outside yourself, but because of a certain feeling of lack somewhere in your psychology. I mean, I'm sure it's relatively obvious when I lay it out like that, but I don't think we often think like that. But obviously awareness, knowing that, yeah, I, I know someone else is richer than me and I, I want to be like them. Okay, what does that do? The mirror method is more about awareness and doesn't really involve an action. But, 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 what it does is keep you from blaming. It keeps you from projecting this certain aspect of lack on another person. And when you have that awareness to realize, okay, I can point the finger, but when I hold a mirror up to it, I'm only pointing a finger to myself. Well, you can work toward it. You can work toward filling that feeling of lack. Or if it's something that you can't change, you can focus on accepting it. So antidote number two is kind of the, the awareness piece to help dissolve your envy, but it's not necessarily something you can easily act on. And that's why I've got five more to lay out for you, five more strategies. Antidote number three. This I'm calling the line in the sand method. Now I already laid out at the beginning of this episode why we might feel envious of a certain person because it usually involves a person who's, you know, at your skill level, in your peer group, but that person has a disproportionate amount of success. And I also mentioned that there are two types of envy. There's the specific envy directed at a certain person and the generalized envy, which is more broad-based. You can't necessarily point a finger at a certain person, but it's, it's your network. It feels like you're the lowest on the rung. Everyone that you can see on social media, you feel like you can't live up to what's currently being shared. But in that second type of envy, the generalized envy, think about it. Not every successful person that you've run across through, you know, watching their their YouTube videos, seeing them in person, hearing them talk, hearing their podcast, you're not envious of every single one of them. And I mean, even people in your peer group, I'm saying for myself, there is a line in the sand, a distinction between envy and admiration. You know, sometimes I'm, I've never felt envious about someone like Seth Godin, who is extremely talented, extremely disciplined to write every day, which is something I not necessarily write every day, but creating every day is something I strive to do but I don't feel envious of him. I admire him. 
I respect him. I want to be like him. I want to model him. But I'm not envious of what he has. Now, why is that? Why is there a line in the sand? And I wonder what that line in the sand looks like for you. And so for this, ask yourself, where is that line between envy and admiration? And I want you to think about a person who is tiptoeing that line. Maybe you know that person intimately, or maybe it's someone who is, you'll never know them, but you see them on YouTube, you hear their podcast. So pause this and think about that person, or if you already have that person, listen on. I want you to see if it really is teetering on the line, what you could do, what you could think about, how you could change your perspective to fully admire that person and feel no envy towards them. So I should specify this, this person that you're thinking of, you should teeter between admiration and envy. What aspects of that person do you have to focus on to admire them rather than feel envious of them? And I would say as a, a hint at this idea, focus on their disciplines rather than their outcome. Focus on their habits rather than the reception they're receiving. Admiration comes from respecting a person's willingness to, to struggle toward a, a worthy goal, toward a worthy ambition. Now, I can think of a, a filmmaker in my peer group who I won't call out by name, but I teetered that line between envy and admiration. We were both in the same competition for a potential award, a, a, a film showcase. And that person did way better than me in terms of awards and views on YouTube. And the way I convinced myself to tip over into fully admiring that person rather than any lingering envy. First of all, I can use the all or nothing method because I could not have told the story they told. I can't say, oh, I want their success without being able to tell that story that was very powerful, very impactful, very personal. But how else could I change my perspective? Well, when I focus on their discipline and realize that, okay, like I said, it, it did take guts to tell this story. It was very personal. And Second off, it, it took a lot of hard work. That person probably spent a lot of time organizing everything, writing the script, uh, editing all that stuff. And not only that, but sending out casting calls and auditioning people, which is something I did not do for my film. So that discipline to to go above and beyond to find the right people for the, the roles in this film, I can only admire that. I can only strive to be that disciplined, to work that hard about something I'm passionate about. When I see that, I can't be envious. Envy, I think, comes from thinking they have something they didn't deserve. When I focus on all their hard work, all the discipline, there's no room for envy. That's the line in the sand method. That is antidote number three. And remember, I, I said this before, I think it's very good for generalized envy. The envy that arises when you're scrolling through Instagram. Antidote number four. Antidote number four is very useful, I think, when it comes to feeling envious about a person's wealth, something that you can't just get by luck. You can't just get in a few days. This is the on the wagon method. Now, we use that phrase when it comes to sobriety. You're on the wagon or you're off of it. But I think using this, this method, using this terminology for, for bigger goals, for things that you're striving toward, by using this, I think we can change our perspective to see success not as a distant thing we can get in the future, but more so something you're working toward or you're not. And when you are working toward that bigger goal, 
you have that thing. When you're working towards wealth, you're wealthy. I know it doesn't feel like it. It probably, (laughs) no one wants to hear that when they're making minimum wage at a, a restaurant, but on the wagon means you're working toward that thing. And the reason I think it's good at getting rid of envy is because you equalize the playing field for someone who may be light years ahead of you. Maybe they started doing a a certain discipline, started building wealth, started thinking about the thing you want 10 years ago. Someone has a 10-year gap on you for something like writing. Yeah, they're going to be a better writer. But by using the the on-the-wagon method, you can say, I'm becoming a better writer. I'm improving my skill. Using ING instead of saying, I'm a better writer. I'm an improved writer. Relatively simple change in perspective, but I think this is, again, very useful when there's a wide gap in time between that person you're envious of. And the other thing is for musicians, I think this is extremely important because I think the time it takes to learn an instrument, much less start writing songs, that gap is so wide that let's say you decide, oh, uh, I'm in high school and I want to be a musician, but I've never played an instrument. Yeah, you're going to have to devote a few years before you can start even being at that beginner stage of a a singer-songwriter. Antidote number five. This is useful when you feel creator's envy, where you're, you're jealous about a person's skill level rather than wealth or number of followers. This is purely focused on skill. This strategy is called the tennis method. The tennis method says, use this person that you're feeling that that's envy toward. Think of it like a game of tennis. They hit the ball at you with a 90 mile an hour serve. You've got to develop the skill to hit it back and hit it back just as hard. The backspin, forespin, when you've got to improve your skills to make them envious of you. And the reason I like this method is because it makes envy into something playful. I think using this method, it's okay to feel envious toward a friend, which I think is probably where you're going to feel that envy if it's directed at a specific person, is someone you know is usually not your enemy, it's usually someone in your friend group, someone in your peer group. So the tennis method makes envy into something playful. It forces you to, rather than be envious of that person, let's say they've released a fantastic film that does extremely well, that gets into a ton of festivals and maybe yours didn't. The tennis method says, okay, the next one I'm gonna make is going to have to top that. I'm gonna hit the ball back just as hard with just as much skill. Antidote number six. This one is definitely not my own. This one comes from the book Skin in the Game by Nassim Taleb. And this one is called The Artisan Approach. It's not a method, it's just a little reflection on yourself. And again, this goes back to the first thing I said, the all or nothing method, and it's focused around the stuff that you make. The artisan approach, and I'm going to read a a quick little blurb from the book because I think it's very, very relevant. Taleb says, artisans do things for existential reasons first, financial and commercial ones later. This is not a matter of morals or a matter of finances. It says, I used that example earlier. I'm not going to be on TikTok. It says, I'm not going to sell out, not because, you know, I I don't want to, I'd feel a little uncomfortable. It's because my existence, my soul in the game is staked on the fact that I am creating something I'm proud of. With number six, it's, it's more of a reminder. 
because it cannot be taught. You cannot force soul in the game. I think you can only discover it. And soul in the game refers to having that existential reason for playing, for creating. Create like your life depends on it. That is how you sum up the artisan approach. Create like your life depends on it. And maybe people buy, maybe people don't. Maybe people follow, maybe people don't. There isn't too much to say about that one. I, I'll shout out the books, get in the game. The artisan stuff was only a small portion of that book, but I really think it's worth reading. But yeah, the artisan approach, putting existential reasons before financial and commercial ones. And number seven, come up to wonderful number seven, the final, the final antidote to envy that I'm going to explain today. I'm sure there's a million others. And this goes back to the quote I read at the beginning of this podcast from meditations. I know I've talked about this before, but there's a, a Latin, there's a Latin phrase, memento mori, which means remember death. Remember death is always around the corner. You can't live forever. No one's immortal. That's, I love that phrase. I've talked about it before, but I want to add another one for your little reminder booklet. <laughs> I don't know why I'm assuming you have a booklet for all these things I'm saying, but for number seven, it's not a method. It's not a strategy. It's simply two words, memento musa. Remember the muse. This kind of relates to the artisan approach, but it takes it one step further. It says, who is your audience? Because the people that clap, those are just the clacking of tongues. Who are you really creating for? You create for the muse. Remember the muse. A million people who like your work and respect you will not change anything. If you don't feel passionate about what you're making, <laughs> literally every single person on earth could tell you you're great, could tell you you're creative, could tell you your work is inspiring. But if you don't believe it, then it doesn't matter at all. And so to finish this episode, I'm going to finish off the quote that I didn't read. I didn't read that full passage at the beginning of this episode. So if public praise is only the clacking of tongues, what is left for us to prize? And Aurelius says this. He says, I think it's this. To do and not do what we were designed for. That's the goal of all trades, all arts, what each of us aims at. That the thing they create should do what it was designed to do. The nursery man who cares for the vines, the horse trainer, the dog breeder. This is what they aim at. And teaching and education. What else are they trying to accomplish? So that's what we should prize. Hold on to that. You won't be tempted to aim at anything else. What he says, in essence, is aim at making the best possible work you're capable of making. To teeter the line between what is possible and what is not. Remember the muse, memento musa. Remember the muse because if you're not working toward the greatest self-expression, toward the greatest aim, nothing else matters. So those are the seven antidotes to envy. I thank you all for listening. I hope this episode will be extremely useful for you. I hope you'll listen to it maybe again. <laughs> I hope you'll implement some of these strategies, some of these thought experiments, and I hope it will dissolve your envy or better yet, turn it into fuel. Turn it into something where you want to create more than you have been. If you like this episode, it would mean a hell of a lot if you rated it on Spotify, on iTunes, left a nice review. 
Thank you.